Okay, good morning again. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Father, may we evermore believe these words, that your communication to us on paper is life by the power of your Spirit. So this morning, help us again not reject you who are speaking to us. Particularly this morning, speaking to us about how you speak to us. Give us ears to hear so that we can rejoice in the beauty of your revelation, to the glory of Jesus, amen, amen. So that's where we're at this morning as we begin this book. It has to do with God who speaks. So that's a question to you and to me. Do you want to hear? God speak. Let's get really real. Have you, have you ever? No one's looking, just you and God. And you said, look, Lord, I, I know you gave me the Bible, but could you please let me hear your voice? Please speak to me, particularly in, in that time or if I have another time of trial or crisis, if I could just audibly hear you say something particular to me, it would go a long way in helping me. I think many of us have. And our Father is very tender and patient. What these verses teach us this morning And they teach us clearly and loudly and plainly is that God is not silent. The creator of the universe is not a stay-to-himself, uncommunicative person. These verses teach us that God has spoken in two stages. First, in the Hebrew Old Testament, before Christ. Secondly, through the coming of the Word. His Son, becoming a human being and dwelling with us. Let's read the words again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. But don't miss it. Before Jesus' coming, here's the main clause. God spoke. Spoke to our fathers 
by the prophets. Notice first, God communicates. He means to communicate to you. God is not merely some idea to be thought about or contemplated or philosophized about. He is a person to be listened to, to be understood, to be enjoyed, and to be obeyed. He is a speaking person. This is one of the most important truths in all of the world. It is one of the most important Christian doctrines. There is a God who created us, and this God speaks. And He speaks in order to be known. That we would know who He is and that we would love Him and live in joyful obedience to Him. That's the first thing. God spoke. Notice secondly, God spoke by the prophets. This means that God's typical way of communicating with His people is by grabbing hold of a particular person here and a particular person there, a human being, a spokesperson, who is the go-between between God and the fathers, the people, His people. It was not God's way to write His communication in the clouds and in the sky all over the earth. It was not His way to say, let me just audibly speak to the whole world and do it every few days, what I want from them. It was not His way to say, I will individually whisper into the ear of every person on some kind of ongoing basis to communicate to them who I am, what I want from them. His usual way, according to this text, was to call a prophet and then to inspire the prophet to speak, to record, to write to the people of God. God spoke by means of the prophets. But don't let the simplicity of that sentence cause you to miss the profundity of it. When God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, the point is God spoke. When Israel heard and understood the prophets, they heard God speaking. Now notice, thirdly, God did this speaking through the prophets at many times and in many ways. Yeah, He's done it through narratives, histories, in other words, storytelling. He's done it through law, through Moses, law giving. He's done it through poetry and songs coming from the hearts of his people. He's done it through Proverbs. And he, and he, and he did it from about 1250 B.C. to 430 B.C. That's what he says at the first class. Our text says there are two phases, though. God, long ago, spoke through the prophets. That's the one way God spoke before the coming of Jesus. And then He spoke through His Son's coming. Verse 2, But in these last days He has spoken to us through, by, His Son. 
God spoke through human instruments, and then God spoke by sending the personification of His communication. His Word made flesh dwelt among us so that the God who spoke through the prophets was actually there in humanity with us. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip. And he did this speaking in his person, in words, and actions in order to accomplish salvation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're going to come back to that next week. No, we're not. Two weeks. I'll be gone next week. But what we see here then for the rest of this morning is a crucial biblical truth for us who are sitting here this morning still breathing. This truth is not about nice ideas concerning God. It's not about truths that are there in the Bible. No, this is about God infallibly speaking the Bible. And history teaches us that when churches, groups of churches, denominations, Christian organizations, when they begin to deny that, deny the, that, that what we have written here is God inspiring the writers, thus he is communicating directly through them to us, when that starts to get fudged on, that that is infallible and inerrant and inspired or breathed out by God, then the next year or the next decade, every other foundational Christian teaching goes into the toilet. Happens again and again. Virgin birth? Nah. Miracles? Nah. Substitutionary atonement of Christ for actual sin? No, but there's a lot of good lessons in it. And you become a Jordan Peterson. The bodily resurrection? Oh, what a wonderful idea. Historical? <laughs> Come on. But its roots are in the doctrine of Scripture being attacked, denied, not trusted. In the Great Reformation of the 1500s, the reason that the gospel was recovered was because first, sola scriptura was recovered. Scripture alone Lots of other writings, lots of theology developed, which will always happen, and it needs to happen. But it is always underneath and to be judged constantly again and again by the Scripture, which is the only final authority for all that we think and believe and how we live. When you refuse to believe that God spoke the Bible, you always will lose true Christianity, the gospel, and true revival. Miracles of new birth in people. Because you're not preaching the word, which is the means. Historically, this doctrine, the doctrine of Scripture, is one of the distinguishing teachings of being, if you use it, I'm using this term in the way it's been used for 500 years, an evangelical. 
hugely important. So that in the 1600s, in 1646, when the Westminster Confession was formed in many communities today, that is their uh, statement that they hold to from beginning to end, at least they claim to, says this, the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek being immediately inspired by God and by His singular care and providence kept pure in all ages are therefore authentic so as in all controversies of religion the church is finally to appeal unto them. And then when I was a kid, I didn't know this was going on. I wasn't even a Christian, but the institution I went to, my alma mater, was part of this. And they start to change the doctrine of Scripture a little bit in the 1960s and then the 1970s and denominations and organizations after organizations in the American Evangelical Church were, were starting to just chip away at the doctrine of Scripture. Well, Many who saw this danger says we got to get together and we're going to make a statement and we're going to we got we got to we're going to be very clear on what we're talking about and then those of us who know this we can have a document at our institution that would say this is what we believe and and, and that is called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy from 1978. Here is the summary statement of the Chicago Statement. Holy Scripture, being God's own word, written by men, prepared and superintended by the Spirit, is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. It is to be believed as God's instruction in everything that it affirms. It is to be obeyed as God's command in all that it requires. It is to be embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. Being holy, meaning totally and verbally, the words in the syntax, the verbally God-given Scripture is without error or fault in all its teaching. No less in what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, and about its own literary origins under God, that in its witness to God's saving grace in individual lives. End quote. This, the Bible, is where God spoke. Now we call this the canon of Scripture. I mean, it's really not a book. It's a library of books. There are 66 separate writings here. We call it canon because the Greek word is of canon. It means like a, a reed, a, a large straight stick for which you would use to, to measure something. And that grew into the idea. It, it's the guide. It is the, the measurement, the test of truth. And so the writer says to us, long ago, and he says this in the first century, and it was long ago, because the very newest piece of, of biblical text he's referring to was already 450 years old. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's referring to the canon of the Old Testament. Now, in the intertestamental time, it, sounds, it means what it sounds like, between the Testaments, Old Testament and New Testament, which is a period of about 400 and 50 years, there's all kinds of other religious and Jewish 
writings, their histories like First and Second Maccabees. That's why there's Hanukkah. Okay, comes from what happened historically under the Maccabean reign. There are apocrypha literature, spiritual writings, or hidden things, and pseudepigrapha. But the Jews, all the way up into the first century and to today, did not consider them on the same authority as the prophets or the canon of the Old Testament. The Jews then and the Jews now share the exact same Old Testament canon as we Christians. We just arrange a few of the books in different order. The Apostle Paul in the first century, he, he assumed the legitimacy of the Old Testament canon, the Scriptures, that he even grew up on. This is what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, because he was raised as a Jew, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, Timothy, is inspired by God. Jesus himself, he accepted the three-part division of the Old Testament, the Jewish canon, when after his resurrection in Luke 24, he says this to his disciples. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you so that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, to go to his apostle, Second Peter, turn there, chapter 1. Notice what Peter tells us in verses 20 and 21. Because he's very clear. And this is helpful. In other words, when we say, God spoke through the prophets to get clear on what we mean by God speaking through, in, and the written word. Okay, if you're there, actually let's, let's, grab, the, let's grab the larger context. Go back to verse 16. We'll start there. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Okay, He and the apostles and others who encountered Jesus before His death and after His resurrection. He's saying, no, no, no. We're telling you our eyewitness account. And then listen to what He says here. For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice, an audible voice, was born to him by the majestic glory, saying these words, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Peter says, look, we, we know he and John and James, the sons of Zebedee, along with Elijah and Moses, were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that's what Peter is harking back to. We ourselves heard this very 
voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. Don't miss what he says next. And we have in comparison the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What's written? Moses, David. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter affirms Hebrews 1 1. And when you read Scripture, what you are reading does not merely come from man, but comes also through them from God. Now, the Bible, it is the writings of many men. Different men over a period of at least 1,400 years. But it's also far more than that. They spoke with their own language. They knew what they're communicating. They're like you and I when we talk or write. They had their own style. But notice, Peter mentions, even though that's happening, two other things. Right there, verse 21, he says, quote, They spoke from God. M meaning that what they had to say is not merely from their own intellectual musings or conjurings or perspective. In other words, they are not the origin of the truth that they speak. They are the channel. The truth in the Scripture is God's communication. God's truth. The meaning, the meaning coming through the author and what the author means is God's meaning in its context. And then secondly, Peter tells us, not only what they spoke, they spoke from God, but how they spoke it is controlled by God. Verse 21 again, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, superintended under God's sovereign providence. He is sovereign. And He superintended 
exactly every situation, the language in which they spoke or wrote, the choice of word order, words themselves, syntax, the argumentation, the historical situation that would rile Paul up and thus speak into it. God spoke this is God's word. And that doctrine there, that truth that we who are Christians embrace, of course it has massively huge implications for our lives. That's why it's so crucial to know that and to believe it. Now, here's, here's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at this a different way now because I, I bet that none of us who are Christians in here, and we do believe this, I bet none of us came to believe it simply because of someone giving you arguments for it like I have just done over the last 25 minutes. I don't think that's how it usually happens with us. What, what see if this resonates, what, 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 what happens with us who, who have fled for refuge in Jesus and we hear these arguments, we know that, of course that's true, we know that's true. Because something like this, whether it's when you're a kid because you're raised in a Christian context or you've never heard the gospel when you're a young adult or an old adult, whatever the situation, what happens is an experience of a crisis about life. It hits you. Is this all meaningless? Why do I or any of us exist? How did we get here? And, and, and it comes crashing in because the reality, the imminence of death comes to what is it about? And through that, one way or another, attract from what your parents told you growing up. Or an evangelist or Christian shares with you. Enough of the message and good news of Jesus comes together with those two realities. And what that does first is it creates this inescapable conviction of your own sin before the Creator. Which leads then to the second step, whether there's time between it is not even relevant. It's a logical step. It is something happened. And that is Jesus, that real historical human figure, was personally, miraculously introduced to you. Just no. And, and, and it happened through what that person's reading to you or you're reading as you read the Scripture. Particularly as you read the narrative of this unique man. And your life has changed. And you read it in Scripture. That's what happened to me in 1981. At age 19... I was just blown away by this man through reading of him by the mouthpieces of Scripture. He was just different. He had a purity that was unmatched. 
He forgave sins like, like God forgives sins. He commanded unseen demonic personalities and they obeyed Him. He controlled nature. And His moral teaching had a clarity and straightforward purity about it. And He knew why He's going to Jerusalem. And He continued to talk about why He's going to Jerusalem. And He went to Jerusalem. And then you see His calm on trial before the Sanhedrin and Pilate. And you watched His suffering. His death. And then the eyewitness testimonies to his bodily, not resuscitation, but resurrection life. And he just went, wow. And it hits you. That sounds right. And that. I've been looking everywhere. That would be the only reason for anything that is. And you're changed. So in other words, I'm saying by the, what happens in us is by the, the impact of, of just the, the man, Christ, Jesus, his unmatchable, Character, power, and love. He wins our affection. He, he pulls from us our trust. That's how it happens. We're not done with the steps, but that's, that's what's happening often. Why I know the Scripture is inerrant and infallible. And to come about or to that conclusion that way is in no way irrational. It's actually in real life how often we make massive decisions like, Choosing a babysitter. It's not just purely mathematical. It, it is, I've known her since she's four, and now she's 16. I have relationship with her. We make decisions upon that non-merely pure computer spit out arguments about why she would be safe enough to be a babysitter. That's what happens with our relationship with Jesus, with the Word of God, with that Scripture of God. Once then, see, Jesus, He captures our trust. He captures our hearts. He becomes our guide and our authority for our lives. Which leads to that next step then. We listen to him. What does he teach us about the Old Testament and the New Testament? What's his assessment of it? And then we accept it. And he clearly affirms the inspiration of the Old Testament. And we know he, out of hundreds of disciples at the time, chose 12 to be not just disciples, but in the office of apostles, uh, sent ones, meaning to be his ambassadors in a very personal way. You are my mouthpiece personally 
And he chose them to found the church after his resurrection and ascension. And we read his words of one of those apostles who was sitting with him. And we see where Jesus told them that he is going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will take you apostles and lead you into all truth. He will superintend this. And so what do we do? With this this man we have a personal relationship with, we say, okay, I agree with you. I trust you. You have all the words of authority. And so we trust his apostles and those close associates with him. And what they say is just as if Moses were speaking from God or Jesus speaking directly to us in their context. That's how I think it usually happens with us. And there's nothing irrational about it. But then here's, but that, that, why is that so important? Because this is how I'm closing now. Because what we read here in Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, this is then the ongoing. It's not just, oh, that happened one day. I came to believe in uh, What it is, is that your ongoing relationship with Scripture, with God, with with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you recognize that every word that is to be paid attention to and read accurately is God breathed. It is your experiencing long ago. At many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. What's happening? Not merely objective I gotta be, I'm going to be careful I'm gonna, how I'm going to say this. In the way that Carl, I, only, I just see a face or two who a little familiar with it. The way Carl Bart would be interpreted at least is not what I'm saying. Which would be when you personally encounter God, that's when the scripture becomes the word of God if that's an accurate rendition of Bart. That's not what I'm saying. Whether a person believes the Torah is God's word, or Matthew, or 1 Corinthians, doesn't change the reality that it is God's verbal communication to us, and we're all accountable to it. But what I'm saying is that as believers, the joy is that we get encountered personally by the power of the Spirit through and in the scripture. What happens is that we see, and Jim Bob can't. It's the same word of God. That's not my theology. That's Paul's. Listen to how he says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, and we'll close. Here's Paul. To this very day, and he's referring mainly to 
his fellow Jews who have the book, have God's word. To this very day, whenever the Bible is read, okay, that's what I mean. Whenever Moses, the first five books of the Bible, is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when, here's the, here's the subjective part that I'm talking about. The beautifully subjective part. But when one turns to the Lord. Okay, stop. That's why I went the way I went at the end. You're not usually convinced by it, merely some mathematical equation, historical argument of why this is the Word of God. It, they're, they're great. That's why I gave you those the arguments of the Bible's testimony. It's not how it usually happens. What happens is, by God's grace, He turns you to Himself. And when one turns to the Lord, the veil, as they look at Scripture, is removed. And now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And thus we Christians, all of us with unveiled face, are beholding, we're seeing the glory of the Lord in Moses, in the Scripture, and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another degree of glory and to another and another. Why? Because this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in other words, we experience new and deeper passions throughout our mortal lives, spurred on by the text of Scripture, read, prayed, contemplated, preached, heard. And we find that God's Word again and again starts to make sense of thousands of life's difficulties and tragedies and pain and fears and life experiences. And we cling to it all the more. We personally, as believers, we, we hear the God who spoke. And we still go on hearing the God who is still speaking. And so I close where I closed last week from the Hebrew writer in chapter 12. We hear the beautiful invitation. Do not reject him who is speaking. And so what that means is, here's my exhortation, pay close attention to what is written. Pay attention to the words. Pay the t attention to how words are connected with other words making phrases and clauses and sentences. Pay attention to the proposition, a statement of declared here and its connection to the next proposition and the next. Particularly connected by words such as for. F-O-R, 
or because, or purpose clauses with the phrase, in order that, or that. And pay attention to the unit of thought that there's a paragraph that's connected to the next paragraph with the word therefore, or for, which are opposites. Do not refuse him who is speaking. But know, if God is speaking, how closely should I be listening? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of this undeserved mercy that I laid out in the second half of this sermon. We thank you for the book. We thank you for the books in the book. We thank you that you have not remained silent. And even in the weeks and months, years to come, in trial, darkness, and feeling like we want to cry out like Elijah. Where are you? We know you are still speaking. Speaking afresh through what you have spoken a long time ago. To the glory of your name, we thank you for this precious book.